You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Well, good morning, everyone. We're so glad you're here. We want to invite you to stand and sing with us this morning. Here we go.
morning. That was a subtle way to start, wasn't it? You guys ready? Awesome. Well, hey, I, I tell you, I'm so grateful to be with you. I, I've been gone for the last few weeks and took a little bit of a break. It's been just, just awesome. I realized after about eight years, I hadn't really taken a, a true vacation. So uh, it's been nice to have a little bit of time, but really, really nice to be back with you. My name's Danny. If we haven't met before, I'm the, uh, the pastor here along with Andrew Kim and our team. So we're grateful that you're joining us here in the room. And then also to everyone on stream. And you know, we always say hi every single weekend to those who are on stream. So on the count of three, let's say hi to them. One, two, three. Hello, we are grateful for you wherever you are joining us. Well, we are in this series the last week. We're wrapping it up in this series called Living the Dream. And so we're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, but, you know, this time of the year, every time we get to this new fiscal year, this new summer, uh, heading into the fall, we like to look back and see what has happened over these last 12 months. And I don't know about you, but these last 12 months have been just, there's been some things happening, right? It's been a little bit intense. And sometimes we forget what God is actually doing it in our midst. And it's been just an honor and a privilege for the past over two decades for Amy and I to be part of this community and our kids and to be able to see God every year, no matter what the year, no matter what's happening, watching God work through you, through our community and through our church, not only locally, but nationally and globally as well. So what we like to do is show that, you know, get a video and then we can watch all of that. I'd like to invite you to take this in. This really is our heartbeat. This is who we are. And then I'll talk a little bit about it after we watch it together, but check it out. When we think about this past year, I'm sure many of us feel like we've traveled way more than just once around the sun. Was it really just 365 days as usual? I'm not sure. But so much good has happened at Kensington in this year like no other, which is evidence of God's grace and his presence. God is moving, and it is so humbling to be a part of it. So let me ask you a question. What image comes to your mind when you think of a source of heat or energy? Maybe you're thinking of the sun, how its rays push back the darkness, or maybe even thinking about sound waves rushing out from a source. This is just a simple mental image of how God works right here at Kensington. At the center is God, and through us, his love and transforming power are radiating out to impact our church, our local communities, our nation, and even our world. God's power is limitless, and what he can do through a community of imperfect people who are passionate about the one is measureless. So let's celebrate together all he's done in our community this past year. Last June, our Traverse City campus relaunched in-person services, and in July, we reopened the rest of our campuses with limited capacity. Being able to gather together in the same place was so memorable and energizing. Our online presence is also very important. Over the past year, our services have been viewed more than 219,000 times. At most campuses, students return to K-Kids and student programs in November. But prior to that, our teams worked hard to provide ways to connect virtually and engage in creative ways. There were video lessons, carefully assembled monthly curriculum bags, over 3,500 total, and campuses hosted all kinds of connection events for families. We also encouraged over 1,000 families with free online faith and the family events, including faith habits in the family, coping with anxiety and stress with Dr. Jack Wilson, raising godly girls, raising godly boys, and no perfect parents with Kensington co-founders Dave and Ann Wilson. Over the past year, we supported marriages in a variety of ways. 250 couples picked up a holiday date night kit. Over 400 people attended our online marriage course 
and 174 marriage mentors personally encouraged other couples. With God at the center, radiating out his love, we can bravely step toward wholeness and community because we know it is God's nature to heal and redeem. Celebrate Recovery was the first ministry to return to in-person meetings last July. And before that, they held drive-by chip celebrations, recognizing each person's commitment to recovery and finding freedom through Jesus. At Kensington, we love celebrating baptisms. As people rise up out of the water, they are resurfacing with new life in Jesus. Last year, we held offsite baptisms in January and campus baptisms in May. Whether those 93 people were taking the plunge in a swim school or in front of a live congregation, this is an example of God at the center and change rippling out. Best way to describe at least my decision uh, for to choose to be baptized is really, really boiled down to like the three C's for me is um, the celebration, the commitment, and the choice. So as much as I can appreciate it, it's a, certainly a public declaration. For me, at least, it was certainly a very, very personal uh, declaration between me and God. If you joined us for Good Friday and Easter this spring, you know that the creative elements and the beautiful teaching on the humanity of Jesus left a powerful impression. More than 8,200 of you joined us for in-person services, and over 12,000 of you joined us online. And there was a special original video created for our kids and watched by more than 800 families, which included an Easter explosion, a running pineapple, but most importantly, a lesson on the resurrection of Jesus. Let's talk about how God's love radiated out beyond our walls to impact our local communities. We call this putting love into action, moving out. They cared for the homeless, delivered food boxes, sewed masks, and provided meals for frontline workers, wrote notes of encouragement to teachers and staff, planted community gardens, provided learning resources to students, visited the elderly, tutored students, refurbished cars, and so much more. School partners amped up their back-to-school supply drive to help resource students for remote learning. Clinton Township partnered with Forgotten Harvest to launch a weekly mobile food pantry. Brazil Campus launched their first Move Out team, the Tabitha Project, to love and serve those in need. Traverse City launched six new Move Out teams, serving the under-resourced, mentoring students, and supporting foster families. We understand that holidays are hard for many people, especially during a pandemic. We're so grateful for the resources and volunteers which allowed us to put together and deliver 1,500 Thanksgiving baskets to local families from our partner schools. Again, at Christmas, we asked ourselves how best to serve our neighbors, and that was through you directly, the people in our seats. During services, we invited you to receive a $25 Meyer gift card or give it to someone in need. People responded wildly to this, often sharing the cards with others. And we gave away cards totaling over $21,000, which impacted over 600 families. With God at the center as a never-ending, never-drying-up source, we don't have to ration out our resources. Instead, we turn with open hearts and hands toward the spiritual or physical needs within our state and nation. We're dedicated to planting new churches all over the country. To date, we have planted 97 churches nationally, and many of these churches have gone on to plant more churches, which means hundreds of thousands of people in the U.S. have heard about the hope and love of Jesus. This year, we've been working with seven new churches, all at different stages in the launching process. Imagine a major flood in the middle of this pandemic. 
When we offered a way to help Midland, you all jumped at the chance to bring hope to a devastating situation. We partnered with one of our move out teams, Draw, Disaster Relief at Work, to provide essential supplies for immediate and long-term recovery efforts. During one Sunday morning in February, we shared that hundreds of thousands in Texas were without power and millions without water. And once again, partnering with our move out team draw, you immediately responded by donating over $20,000, funding more than half of the delivery and distribution of 4,600 cases of water to Houston, Dallas, and Tyler. At Kensington, we believe that we are called to show the love of God by meeting needs in His name around the globe. With God as the source, we reach out to build relationships and share resources with global partners in 10 different countries. Over the past year, we as a community have been supporting these on-the-ground leaders in two different ways. We help sustain them and the work they do in their local communities, and we stepped in when an emergency struck to equip them. When India experienced a second dangerous wave of COVID, our partner's private hospital was converted into an emergency COVID site at the request of the Indian government. I'm standing in front of the CM hospital, which is being used as COVID grade A hospital. And many lives are being saved in this pandemic situation of second wave of COVID-19. And many people are witnessing God's healing. We shared their need for beds, equipment, and supplies. And this open-handed community gave $200,000 to support them as they saved lives. Our partner Reuben in South Sudan shared that by God's grace, good things were still happening among the tribe he's working with. 40 churches were planted, 523 people became followers of Jesus, and 55 people were baptized. Last year in Afghanistan, where law prohibits converting to Christianity, our partner distributed more than 120,000 Bibles. The Hope Water Project team showed some creativity in order to support its mission to bring clean water to the Pokot tribe of Western Kenya. When we weren't able to hold our traditional fundraising events, there was an out-of-the-box virtual challenge called Every Mile Counts. People could walk, run, cycle, hold a movie marathon, or anything to raise money to dig clean water wells. And guess what? This community raised just over $170,000, which will dig six wells in Kenya. Literally thousands of lives will be changed. Education will be possible. Churches can be built. Herds can remain healthy, and these villages can thrive. One of the highlights of this year has been the church planning initiative of our newest global partner. We recently shared our goal of planting 1,000 churches in northern India, which is a predominantly Hindu region. Our partnership with the Timothy Initiative will allow us to launch new churches for just $300 each. In just a few months' time, you have given over $200,000, which is 75% of the way to our goal. Only answer to reach these places is disciple makers who plant churches. And this is the only way that we can reach this huge number of villages. Wow, it is so incredible to hear about what God has done here and around the world through Kensington over the past year. Each one of you is an integral part of who we are and how we're blessing others in Jesus' name. You've probably heard it said before that the church is not the building and let's be the church the other six days of the week. And when you really listen to these two phrases, you hear how beautiful they are and how they reflect the heart of God and it reflects you. You've been that church. Thank you 
for giving your time and your financial gifts and your talents to make an impact on the lives of others. And in all of this, God's at the center. He's the source, and our privilege is to radiate out His love and light to the farthest most reaches of the earth. And I do want to finish with a challenge for all of us, really two challenges. If this past year and what you've experienced has disconnected you from this community, I just urge you to please take steps to reconnect. We are better together. We need each other. Come back to an in-person service. Reach out to that friend or small group. Open yourself up again. And if you're here and connected, my challenge for you and me is this, let's continue. Let's keep pressing into the difficulties that life brings us, that we're all experiencing. And I would say maybe most of all, let's keep our hearts soft, soft to Jesus and to each other and to, to those in need. And keep our hands in a posture of open-handedness. That's always been our dream. And I just want to finish by saying a huge thanks to all of you. I cannot thank God enough for you, and I can't wait to see how God will work through us this coming year. Come on. I do. I, 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 every year, I, it's one of the highlights for me to be able to go back because I, I tend to be a person that just goes, like, hey, let's just get to the next thing, you know, and you sometimes forget to look back and say, wow, look what God has done. And, and this is really something important that you have to know. Sometimes we show a video like that, and it could be almost like a promo video for our church. And I want you to understand something. We show that not to say, oh, look at Kensington in this place. No, what we show that to say, this is amazing what God is doing in this place through people, through community, not only here locally, but nationally across the world. It's, it's stunning. And here's what I know. If this is actually a Kensington thing and a human thing, it is going to just fall away and burn up and go away, and it's not going to have any eternal impact. It has to be rooted in the person of Jesus, and we really do believe that that's our dream. Do we do it perfectly? No. <laughs> We're not a perfect community or leadership or anything, but that really is our desire. So that fires me up to know that even in the, all that we were through these past year, that God is continuing to move, that he's not stopping, that he's having impact here and around the world. So thank you so much for stepping into that. Also, this time of the year, we always do our annual vote. And our vote is pretty simple. It's, it's for the next budget coming up next year. And it's also for our elder board. And that everyone's invited to take part in that. It's gonna take part. Uh, it's gonna actually happen on August 29th. So we'd love you to take part in that. Uh, the, if you wanna know a little bit more about our budget and a little bit more about our elders, you can go to kensiancchurch.org slash annual report. And here's, if you're new here, here's what you need to know. Any questions you have, we're pretty much open book. So you can call here, we'll talk to you, we'll show you whatever you need to show. But uh, so if you have questions about that, don't be shy, but we'd love you to be part of that. Well, I'm gonna uh, pray. We're gonna step back into this last week of this series called Living the Dream. I'm gonna pray for Haiti as well. As you know, uh, you know, just uh, one day ago, uh, they had a pretty intense earthquake. We have friends there. Uh, we have family there, people that we had partnered with over the years. So I'm gonna pray for that. I think we've lost over 300 lives and also thousands that have been injured. So uh, we're, we're gonna, I'm gonna add that into the prayer and I hope you would add that with me and pray for them. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this beautiful community. Thank you for all of these years. It, did, it started as your dream in a handful of people to create a community rooted in you that would reach the world. And you've made that happen, Lord, and we thank you for that. It's your work, not ours. We're grateful to be partnering with you. And so I ask today, Lord, as we step into this last week of what it means to dream or live out dreams that are rooted in you, would you open our hearts 
Would you speak to us individually, uniquely? Would you speak dreams and visions? Maybe someone that came in today that felt like they can't be used. They, they don't see anything. They don't see value. Lord, would you break that down and would you speak to their hearts? And then would you speak to us collectively? What we can do together is so profound. And so we ask that of you, Lord. And then we pray for our friends and our family and those in Haiti right now that are dealing with this natural disaster. Lord, we ask that you would activate your church. Certainly activate anything we can do from far away. Uh, please help, you know, put that on our hearts. But Lord, I ask that you activate your followers there on the ground, that they would be hands and feet, that they would be able to step in in this time of crisis, that they would be able to witness your hand working in such a difficult time. Uh, we, we trust you, Lord, but in these moments uh, are, are difficult. So uh, activate your church. Let us be involved and let us be thinking of them and praying for your presence and your peace and your love and your grace and your mercy and your transformative power. Uh, we pray this in the name of Jesus and we all say amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we started this series, Living the Dream, and I have kind of a pet peeve about that line. <laughs> and I don't know what you think about when you think about that line. But I have in my mind countless conversations that I've had over the years where you walk up to somebody and you say, hey, how's it going? How you feeling? And they always go, living the dream, you know, <laughs> you know, just living the dream. And then they stop. They don't say anything else. I'm like, what does that even mean? Well, you know, most of the time when they say it, they got kind of a sarcastic tone. You know, they're not, you're, and so I'm thinking, what are you really saying to me? Like, Look, there really is no dream. My life is miserable. I'm in a job I can't stand. I come home to a family that's okay. I eat, I watch the latest Netflix, and I go to bed and repeat it. That's what it feels like to me when people say that, you know, living the dream. And is that possible? Is, it, is a life, this life that's supposed to be this mundane, walking through life, and that's the dream, and kind of an eye-rolling phrase? Or does God have something bigger for his people? Does he have something bigger that we can step into? Do we just muddle through or does God have a vision for his people? Even this past year and a half, you know, as we look through how intense it has been and all the things that we have encountered, our trials, our tests, all the things that are happening, sometimes we can look at that and go, man, I don't know. Are we living a dream? Can I dream or am I just gonna survive? And here's what I've found. I found in the, in the times of the greatest Pushback. The times of their greatest challenge are times when there's actually the greatest opportunities that happen. Ways that you can think differently, ways that you can act differently, ways that you see yourself differently. When we get pressed upon, many times we have new things happen, new dreams. And I believe that God is doing something new in our midst. Even in the midst of all we've seen, I believe that God is doing something new now. You know, last Friday I went to a conference, it was a leadership conference, and a number of different uh, people spoke. But one of my favorite preachers of all time, he's out in California. He's got a little church out there called Monrovia. He's just an amazing preacher. He's called Bishop Albert Tate. And Albert Tate is, boy, for years he was just a ticket. Like everyone would have Albert Tate speak at their conference. He'd go everywhere, and he's just incredible. And he closed out the conference, and I was so excited to hear him. And he really did challenge me, and he moves me. Because he was talking about... Before the pandemic, pre-pandemic, he was a big deal. I mean, he finally broke the million-mile million club in airline. You know, they moved him up to first class. He talks about how awesome that is and how crappy the other one is. You know, and he just joking. And he's like, I'm going everywhere. Everyone wants me to speak. I'm traveling. I'm a big deal. I'm living the dream. And then he said, then the pandemic hit. And everything stopped. No miles. 
no speaking engagements, everything just stopped. And he's like, I'm home. <laughs> I'm not doing anything. He's like, what is happening? And so he ends up having to do normal things, you know, and he ends up going, he's been at home a lot, away from home a lot. So he's home and he takes his kid to football practice and he talks about how funny that is. The little kids start to play football. They don't know what they're doing. They're running around circles, going the wrong way. He goes, this is ridiculous. They're terrible. And so he's talking about this. He gets on the sidelines. He takes him there. He's sitting there and he's like, okay, good. They'll be out practicing and I'll be able to work and write my message. So he starts working and then he goes, people come around me and they start talking to me. I don't want to talk to you. I want to do my work. You know, he's used to doing his work. And so now he has to talk. And then his kid comes up and he starts talking to him. And all of a sudden God said to him, wake up. You realize something? This is a dream. What's in front of you is the dream. He said he's profound. He's actually started breaking down when he's speaking. He's like, I've been so busy living the dream that the dream was in front of me. He had a conversation with a friend of his during that time, and he was telling his friend that we have been through so many tests and so many trials during this time of about the last year and a half. Have we not? Yes? It's intense, hasn't it been? And there's so much that we're looking at. There's so many trials and so many tests and so many hard things that we've been through. And his friend looked at me and said, I think I have a paradigm shift for you. And I want to share it with you today because I think it has been a paradigm shift for me. His friend looked at me and said, is it possible that we didn't just go through tests and trials, but actually what we went through were lessons. And God was showing us lessons the year and a half, revealing during a hard time some lessons and opening up our brain to new dreams and new visions, even in a hard time. He said, is it possible that right now is the test? Will we desire to go back to what we always knew? Because that's, isn't that true? We're always like, man, I can hardly wait till we get back to, say the word. Normal. Hate to break the news to you, it's gone. Normal's gone. There's something new coming, but it's not going to be what we had. And is it possible that we're going through tests right now and God's saying, did you learn about the things that are most important so that when you move into this new future, these dreams that I have, as you move into it, would you take what you've learned and would you move into a new way of dreaming? And I don't know about you, but I've evaluated every aspect of my life over the last couple of years, and certainly over the last six months. Am I doing what God wants me to do? What does God want me to do? Who am I really? What is God really speaking to my heart? What is the dream that you're placing in my heart? Where do you want to put me? Do you realize how unique you are? Do you realize how God has given you a unique identity, unique abilities, and placed you in a unique context so that you can actually move out and go and impact. And it doesn't matter what age you are. Prince, I'm looking at you. How old are you? Huh? Yeah, I, August 29th, you're turning 12, but you're 11. <laughs> you're 11. Stand up, buddy. This guy's, look at this guy. Here's the deal. Here's what I know about you. You know what's so great about this, this community? They clap for you, you didn't do anything. Because <laughs> you're awesome. But here's what I know about you. I know that God has an identity for you. I know that God has a plan for you. I know that God is going to place you somewhere in your life, and he is going to give you your ability and your courage and the power to change the world. So I know about you. That's what I know about all of us. It's coming different ways. And sometimes we're like, you know, just living the dream, living the dream. Same stuff. I'm just going to go back to what I know. And God's like, no. Is it possible that God has something different for us? Because I do believe that God has dreams for his people. 
to inspire them and to push them out into the world and their unique identities, to bring love and light in Christ to people and nations. And sometimes we forget. We forget that we have this uniqueness. We forget that God has dreams. We forget that we have purpose and identity and abilities to have this kind of impact. And so that's why we did these three weeks. We wanted to shake us up. We wanted to remind us that there's more. And sometimes you talk about dreams. It's kind of like, oh, I dream this. and No, no, these are tangible dreams that we can take hold of. And when I watch that video, that's what I see. I, I see people understanding who they are, finding Jesus, having Jesus work through them and move out to the world to have impact. And that's living the dream. That's the dream. And so that's why we did this series. In the first week, we talked about what does that look like? What are the, some of the things that could hold us back? Because we're looking at the people of Israel, God's people in the Old Testament in the book of Judges. And we're looking at this moment in time where they had, they had God had a dream and they were close to God and then they wander away from God. And they start following their own dream. And, and out of that disobedience, they find themselves under rule. They find themselves under oppression. They're going through a tough time for years and now God has a vision. And that's what we heard last week when Steve Andrews did so well, talking about a young man named Gideon. And God has a plan to liberate his people, but he's gonna do it through a person. And so he approaches Gideon, and here's Gideon. This is the image that Gideon has of himself. This is who he thinks he is. He says, why are you coming to me, Lord? I'm the weakest of the weakest clan. I'm part of the weakest clan of all the clans, and I'm the weakest one in the weakest clan of all the clans. That's his image. He thinks he's small, like Prince. He thinks he's insignificant. He's not sure. He has a lot of fear. And where we find Gideon last week is he's hiding, trying to do his chores. He was threshing wheat, and he needed to be out in the field so the wind could actually separate the chaff from the actual kernels of wheat, and he's supposed to throw it up in the air. But here he is in a wine press hiding because he has fear of his enemies. He doesn't want to be found out. He's throwing it up and hiding, and the Lord comes to him and says, you are not that thing that you think you are. You are not that person. And in fact, so much so that God looks at Gideon, and an angel says, the angel of the Lord approached Gideon and started to speak vision into him. Now, Sometimes you might be listening, some of you here and on stream, sometimes you hear these stories in the Bible and you're like, an angel of the Lord showed up and spoke to them. Right. But here's what I want to tell you something. I've been here 21 years and following Jesus for that long, coming back to Christ after being away for a long time. I cannot tell you how many times in my own personal life that someone came into my life at the most perfect time, looked me in the eye, not knowing anything about my circumstance, and said to me, here, and said something that permeated my heart and my soul and set me off in a trajectory that I could never imagine. I'll tell you something, when I watch that video and I see people running for clean water for complete strangers, I mean, I, did, I was part of a relay team, I did the smallest part. Look, the Lord spoke to me to run because this doesn't run. You know, there's no way. My body's like, what? No, no, I don't care. Just give money. You're not doing that. No, the Lord's, no, I'm going. Why? Because you meet. I have people that have adopted kids. The kids that everyone else says they're, they're unadoptable. They step in and do it. Why? Because at some point in time, the angel of the Lord came to them, looked them in the eyes and said, you are called to do this. So when I read that about Gideon, 
I don't roll my eyes. I go, ooh, he's ready to live the dream. Because that's how it works. So the Lord speaks through people and events. The Lord's speaking now as he spoke then. Different ways, but just as powerful. And so the Lord looks at Gideon and says, you know what? You're not small and weak and insignificant. You know what you are? You're a mighty warrior. And I can imagine Gideon going, ew, this poor angel. No, you're a mighty warrior. And what's amazing about the scripture is you read, and I, want, I would love for you to go to Judges and read this whole story. We don't have time to cover all of it. But from that moment on, you see that Gideon starts to take a step of faith. And he starts to live in to this identity. And as he steps, he questions God even. He still has fear. He's still questioning God, which is totally fine, by the way. Between services, last service, someone came, a young woman came up to me and started drilling some of the hardest questions at me. It was awesome. I love that because we are supposed to question and doubt and wrestle. That's faith. We do it together in community. So Gideon's wrestling with God and he's testing God and God continues to build in and build in him this identity of a mighty warrior to the fact that now he is in charge of the army that God has put together to liberate his people. And Gideon moves forward and it says that the Lord gave him victory in all of those battles. And you know what's amazing? Gideon gives the Lord credit. It says in Judges 7, it says this. He returned to the camp of Israel, having, having heard some of the talk in the camp, and he called out to all his people. He said, get up. He said, the Lord has given. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into our hands. Gideon knew <laughs> that this was the work of God. It wasn't so much the work of Gideon. Gideon's being obedient, but it's God working through Gideon. But you know what's interesting? As all human beings do, sometimes things shift once we have a little bit of success. And that happened to Gideon. So today, we're going to learn that sometimes it's not only your fear, your isolation, your failure that can hinder living the dream or living God's dream for you and us. It's also your success that can be a hindrance to fully living out the dream. So here's Gideon. He's a mighty warrior. He has conquered and overtaken the most ruthless and fear-invoking army. And now he's considered a hero. He has lived into the dream of the angel of the Lord. He is a mighty warrior and he has a resume to back it up. And people now see him as something incredible. And what are humans' instincts when we think of someone that's incredible and we think they're famous? What do we do? We lift them up. We make them idols. And so this is what happens in Judges 8. The Israelites, God's people, came to Gideon and said to him, rule over us. He's like, you are the one. Rule over us. You're you and your son and your grandson. Why does he, they want them to, to him to rule? Because you have saved us. You have done it. It's you that accomplished this. You have saved us from the hand of Midian. You know, God's, God's people fall into the same routine they were before. The whole idea was they were putting their faith in human beings and move away from God. And guess what their instincts are now? To put their faith in human beings and move away from God. And that's a human instinct, by the way. We all do that. In ourselves, in humanity, in humans. And God is saying, no, there's something bigger. But we all tend to do that. It's so easy to fall into that kind of mentality. I'll give you an example, a funny example, but an example that was recent in my life. So how many of you know James Taylor? Some of you. If you don't know James Taylor, greatest songwriter of ever. Yes? 
one of the most incredible songwriters, artists. And if you don't know me, you know that my first career for 25 years was a musician. So uh, that's what I did for a long time since I was little. And love James Taylor, so love him. So my wife actually is in charge of a big event and it was a Steven Spielberg event and she was part of putting it on and they needed, they needed help for this event. So she called me. Now this is just a few years ago. This isn't like when I was a kid. This is just a few years ago. So she calls me and she says, hey, this company needs some help. Do you wanna, you wanna come on and be a stagehand? And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know. What is it? Well, Steven Spielberg will be there and, and Holly Berry will be there and, 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 and you know, Steve Carell and all these different people. I'm like, yeah, you know. And she goes, hey, and the musical guest, you know who it's gonna be? It's gonna be James Taylor. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> I was like, yes. Yes, I will do it. You know, like I was so excited. And so now you're supposed to play it really cool at these things. You can't. And by the way, I, I've been around a lot of famous people in my music career and all this. I, I was doing a lot of people, but, but this was the moment. And so I get there and, and, I, and they tell me, okay, you're, you're, you're going to handle the stage. You're going to do these things. And then they say, go pick up James Taylor's roadie. He's got his, you know, equipment and everything. So I go over to this hotel. I pick this guy up. He's got two big cases. And I say, hey, I'll put those in the back. What are these? And he's like, those are his guitars. And I'm like, oh. And I, I pick, now I'm not kidding you. You can check me on this. You can fact check me. I put him in there. And I text Michael King, who's the music director here. And I go, Michael, James Taylor's guitars are in my car, you know, and he, and he's, you know, he's the same. He's like, are you kidding me? Tell me more. Like he's right there. So we get to the place and I, and and I, and and we stop and we're like a mile away from where we have to walk. And the guy says, Hey, let me get a cart and I'll take this over. And I go, Oh no, no, no. I'll carry them. He's like, it's like a mile away. I go, no problem. My wife works there. She knows I'm no problem. And I picked the, the really heavy and I'm, kid you not, I'm carrying this and I'm texting Michael. And I'm like, I'm carrying his guitars right now. You know, I get them to the back. They take them out. You're not supposed to take pictures. They put it up there and I'm like, click, 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 click. Like, I'm breaking every rule. I'm recording a soundtrack. I did everything you weren't supposed to do. And then at one point I had to go get him and walk him to the stage. And I'm just like, this is unbelievable. Then he gets on stage and I'm behind the stage and I kid you not, he starts with fire and rain and I just start crying. (laughs) The next day I woke up, I'm like, what's wrong with me? That's how easy you fall into these things. That's how easy you can get sucked in. He's just a human being. He plays guitar. So what? You know, but I get so sucked in this moment. God's people are wanting to put all their hope and their trust in all of these things in Gideon and not God. But here's what's amazing. Gideon's first response is amazing. This is what Gideon does. He tells them this. I will not rule over you. That's his response. Nor will my son rule over you. And then he says this. The Lord will rule over you. Gideon, give him a hand. Give him a clap. Like clap for Gideon. This is the right response. He's like, no, no, no. You don't want me. It's the Lord. Because he knew that God set up a system where he wanted his people to be different from the world. He didn't want an earthly king over these nations and kingdoms of the world. He wanted his nation to be different. He didn't want them to put their hope and their faith all in in an earthly broken leader. He wanted his kingdom to be set apart. In fact, that's really a theme within scripture, that as you follow Jesus, you're a people that are set apart, that are different, because we, we follow God. We don't follow human beings. 
And so that was God's desire and Gideon nailed it. But yet something happens one line later. He has the right answer there. And then he says this, but I do have one request. That's like the big butt, you know, (laughs) but wait, however, I have one request that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. It was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. And so they answered him, sure, we'll be glad to give them to you. So they spread out a garment and each of them threw a ring from his plunder into it. And the weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, not counting ornaments or pendants or purple garments worn by the kings of Midian or the chains that were around the camel's neck. 1,700 shekels. The weight of that, I think it's, I, I want to say it's 40, 50 pounds. I don't remember. But I know that the value of it probably was, in today's terms, probably close to a million dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Gideon doesn't want the kingship, but Gideon wants to get paid. Now, in some ways, that's okay. You know this, and I've said this from stage before. I remember a spiritual leader years ago. He says, there's nothing wrong with owning things. There's nothing wrong with money as long as they don't own you. There's nothing wrong with his idea of making money. There's nothing wrong with getting paid. Gideon's the one that actually was obedient and led and had victory, and he's getting paid. But something happens. He takes the gold, and it's what he does next that actually was a decision that cost he and his family and the people of Israel something very profound. It says, Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, which is his Hometown And all Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Now, some of you might be listening to that and they're like, what does that even mean? You know, he made an ephod. What is an ephod? This is a profound moment, actually. Because an ephod at that time was a garment made out of gold that the high priest would wear. And the Lord had set up a very specific way that his people should operate. And one of those specific ways was the high priest was the only one that had access to the Lord. And it was in a particular place called Shiloh that the tabernacle would be there. And that was the place that you would meet the Lord. And that was where the Lord lived. And people would go there to have an encounter with God. And so all the people would converge on this one place. And that's how God designed it at that time. And the ephod that the high priest wore would have two stones on it. And they were almost like a yes and a no stone. You would go to the high priest and you'd go to him in times of crisis. And you would say, what is God saying about this? You would go for answers. You'd go to be connected to the Lord. You'd go to this one place. And here's Gideon. Now he has success. And now he's like, I'm going to make my own ephod. I'm going to put it in the center of my town. And what I'm saying now is, this is my town. I know the Lord. Come to me to have encounters with God. Come to me to have your answers. Come to me because I'm close to God. And it was an abomination of that system. It was, it was a way to pull people away from God and pull them to himself. And now it's no longer God's success and God's dreams. It's Gideon saying, God did this for me. And that was probably the last time that Gideon ever mentioned that it was God who did this. <laughs> it was God saying, no, this is my thing now. It's amazing in success, sometimes what happens, even in the success, what can happen to us. The judge, which Gideon was, was supposed to turn people from their unfaithfulness to God back to faithfulness in him. And yet Gideon is leading them away 
even in the success of this dream. Sometimes success, God-given success can distort good leaders. I like what Tim Keller says about this. Listen to this quote. He says this. (laughs) Go ahead, you can bring it up. There is a terrible spiritual danger involved in the receiving of any blessing. I want to stop at that line. Read that line again. There is a terrible spiritual danger involved in receiving any kind of blessing. (laughs) Anytime we receive a blessing. And he says this, why? Because success can easily cause us to forget God's grace. Because our hearts are desperate to believe that we can save ourselves. God-given victory can easily be used to confirm the belief that, in fact, we have earned blessing for ourselves and should receive the praise and should receive the glory for that success. That is human instinct. Human instinct is, even within our own success uh, with human beings, we can get places, none of us are self-made, we're all standing on the shoulders of some kind of giant, but yet we get to a certain place and we're like, hey, that was me. We can't help it. We need to know that we're valuable. And we have to be careful, especially with God-given dreams. That's why I'm so adamant when we watch a video like we watched to remind us, hey, just remember, this isn't an infomercial for Kensington. This is an actual pointing to the living God of Jesus Christ. Kensington could go away tomorrow, but the Lord will last forever. And we want to be part of that dream, not a dream of lifting up human beings and saying, those are my Savior. The Apostle Paul, who did, had an incredible encounter with God and understood this so well because he really is the reason we're probably sitting in these seats today. He says it this way in Ephesians 2. He said, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is only a gift from God. Not by works, so that. Say so that. Say a little bit more. Whenever that says so that, there's a reason. Why? Here's why. So no one can brag. No one can boast. See, look at me. Living the dream. You know, No one can boast that it's them. It's only a God. You know what's sad to me? Over these last few years, especially, there have been so many pastors and leaders in the church that have really had profoundly more, profound moral failure. They've fallen so far. And it's been heartbreaking for me. Because at some point, I mean, every person is broken. But at some point, I believe that their hearts were true and that they wanted to do the right thing. But there were moments along the way that they started believing their own hype. And they started believing, actually, that they were on the stage and it meant more than you in the seats. By the way, if any church tells you that's not true, the church is a community. It's people. We're called to teach or the way we're teaching. We're called to do these things. Actually, we'll be held to a higher standard of judgment because of it. But this is the community, all of us together. And so it's been heartbreaking for me to see these people kind of fall. And they made decisions along the way that led to it. Small decisions that led to that moment. And you see that with Gideon. If you look for the rest of his life through that until his death, he really paid the cost as he started to own this and started to say, hey, this is about me, not about God. You know, I was paging through some social media stuff for the last few weeks and there was a phrase that I I stumbled upon. I don't know whose phrase it is. You guys can look it up and tell me. Uh, When I looked it up, there's like 10 people that take credit for it. So I'll take credit for it today. But here's the phrase. When we were born, we look like our parents. When we die, we look like our decisions. Isn't that powerful? When we're born, we look like our parents. 
But when we die, we look like our decisions. Here's what I know about God. Through Christ, through his sacrifice, through faith in Jesus, no matter what you've done, no matter what I've done, we can come to Christ and he will be able to walk us through all the decisions, good and bad, and be able to continue to restore us and move us closer and closer and closer to Christ and more into faith. So whatever you did, you don't have to live in regret because Jesus can come alongside and can redeem that and work and go through it. This, I don't say that quote to shame us. I say that quote because decisions are important. And when we're living out a dream and we're saying, well, this is the dream and I'm just gonna do my own thing. And God comes alongside and says, hey, that's not really the dream, actually. You can do that if you want, but I have another dream. When we turn our wheels that way, when we start moving in that direction, here's what we know. It's not my dream. It's God's dreams and I get to enter into it. I need to be a part of the dream. And to me, that actually is what living the dream means. It means each day, every day, I wake up, you wake up, and you say, okay, Lord, what do you have for me today? That's the dream. Okay, I'm going to stand on the sidelines with my kid. Okay, I'm going to put my tablet down. I'm going to talk to the people around me. Okay, I'm going to, one thing, simple life, take steps. And you are created unique. You have abilities. You have people in your life that God is going to press into you and say, go live the dream with them. Here, I need you to take your abilities and have influence in your circles. So let me ask you something. What decisions are we making? What decisions are you making? What dreams are you living for? On Wednesday, we, we do you know this a few times a year, but it's the most extraordinary thing. We have baptisms out in the Islam with all of our campuses coming here. Last time we did that, I think, was 2009, 2010. That's when our daughter actually got baptized, Johanna. And... It was extraordinary. I mean, look at, hold that picture. Look at that picture. Um, I love this picture. We had 30 people just in our congregation alone get baptized. It was so beautiful. Look at her eyes. Isn't that beautiful? To me, I look at that little one and I say, man, that is hope. That is expectation. That is innocence. That is dreams. That is future. Sometimes we walk through the world and the world kind of takes that away, but I want you to look at her eyes because she's saying, oh, guess what? I'm going to live the dream. You guys can live the dream. I'm going to live the dream. That's what that says to me. Keep going. These are just a few photos that are so beautiful, but you start to get a sense of saying, okay, look at that. So, so good. But the idea of saying, hey, I'm making a decision. Hold on that one. That's one of my favorite photos. You know, this is a couple, and and we got to baptize them, and then they said, hey, we're going to baptize all our kids, so can we stay in here and baptize them with you? I said, oh, yeah. And pretty soon, all five were in there. And And I said to the people, look at this. This is a whole family making this decision. It's a whole family that's going to move forward into a future that is going to be so different than they could ever imagine. There's a whole family that's going to live the dream. It's not going to look like, well, I'm living the dream, but it's going to live the dream. And a whole family is so powerful. And then the next one is a, is a good friend of mine. I know uh, one of the most strong, joyful, powerful people going through a really tough time. And I, what a privilege it is to baptize Stephanie. And man, I'll tell you something. She's living the dream. Even in the midst of everything that she's going through, she's living the dream. That's the invitation of the gospel. You know, Jesus came not to just have you go, well, living the dream, you know, whatever. He said, no, 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 no. I have something for you. 
No, no, no. I have something for all of you. I have something collectively and individually for you to move out in the world and live a dream. It's not going to be perfect. It's, it's not going to feel great every day. No. You might have years where it's really bad. We've had a grinder of about five years, haven't we, Amy? Six years. It's been a grind, man. And sometimes I'm like, wow, this isn't the dream. But it is because you start to see things in the midst of it and you start to see hope. So I have three thoughts for you. I have three questions for you and I have one action step. Before we do that, we're actually going to receive our offering. So if you come prepared to give, great. Thank you. Uh, This moment for us, for Amy and I, we do everything digitally we have for years. We don't do it. We don't give out of obligation. And and to be honest with you, in the religious background that I had, it felt like obligation. As I started to learn about Jesus, I started to say, here, Lord, it's yours. It's yours for dreaming. It's it's your money anyway. So this is an obligation. For Amy and I, it's it's an act of worship. For many of you, it is too, because it's your home. If you're new here, this doesn't have to be your moment. You certainly can take part if you'd like, and there's all the ways that we can do it. Um, You know, 779 text, go to the app, uh, go to the website and mail something here. And then when you leave, there's some buckets back there if you want to be part of that. But we want to be part of funding a movement of God dreams here uh, nationally and in the world. So that's why we do. So thank you uh, for your profound, profound generosity. Three thoughts, three questions, one opportunity. Here's the three thoughts for you out of today and out of this series. First one is this, living God's dreams. How do you know you're living God's dreams? These are my three simple thoughts. There's a lot more you can put on here. These are just the three that I got this week. First one is this, living God's dreams, you serve others. When Jesus came, he was the highest king. He was the most powerful king. He has all authority, heaven and earth. He's got everything. And he said this, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. That's the upside down kingdom of Christianity. He did not come to, he had all the right to be served. All the right. But he said, no, I come to actually serve. When God taps you on the shoulder for a God-sized dream, it's going to go and serve other people, guaranteed. It's going to be a dream of serving other people, of coming underneath. You know, and here's, here's how you know sometimes that you're off path a little bit and you see it when Gideon. When you start to get a sense of entitlement, like, I deserve this. I did this. When you start getting that kind of feeling, like, Meh. I think that's a God dream. You're called to serve. You're called to come under. You're called to serve others. Second one is this. Living God's dream requires trust. You know, in the beginning, Gideon said, Ian, you can go back and read about it. He's like, Lord, would you show me a couple things because I can't quite step into this. And God would say, okay. And he would build his trust. That's faith. Faith is a journey. One step at a time, building your faith, building your trust. Each time you step, you see God enter in. You start to build your faith, build your faith, build your faith. God-sized dreams. And here's why. Because if you can do the dream with your own gifts and your own power and your own ability, it's not God. It's not a God size. God might, might be influencing it, but it's not God size dream. God size dreams say, if you don't show up, I'm not going to be able to do this. And so it requires profound trust. Third is this God size dreams are rooted in the love, the mercy, the grace, the power, the authority of Jesus Christ. The prophet Micah said it this way He said, God requires you of this do justice, love mercy, and walk in humility with God. Do justice, love mercy, walk in humility. 
You know, I was, I was reading a book by a guy named Rodney Stark. It's called The Rise of Christianity. I'm pretty sure that's the name of it. I'm just starting to get into it. And the whole idea is the history of the church. And, and, and they're looking at why did the Christianity grow so much in these periods of time? And there's a number of different reasons. But one of the profound reasons is when there was a pandemic in the early church, guess who was on the front line? Who was people following Jesus? When there was people, little kids that they were put out on the street and needed adopted, who, were, who was doing the adopting? It was the followers of Jesus. And the society would look around and say, who are these people? What is this profound love? What is this profound mercy? What is this justice that they're doing? And so, oh, those are followers of Jesus. And it had a profound impact on society because of the way that they lived out this kind of way in public, healing sick, reaching out to others. And so God's eyes dreams are rooted in the love of Christ. And so here's my three questions for us to process today and this week. First one is this. What are the dreams that God has placed on your heart? I don't care how old you are. You know, I see you two young ones here. I don't know how old you are. Maybe you're high school, junior high, who knows? But do you know that you have influence? I don't know how old you are. You see, yeah, you, way to go. You're like, yes, I do know I have influence. My parents will listen to everything I say. But, but you know, in, in, in your sphere, you have power. You have influence. And God wants that for you. He's going to place you in those places. He wants you to have what, and what dreams has God placed on your heart? I don't know. I don't know what those dreams are. What are they for you? Second one is this. What are some decisions that you have made or are making that might hinder those dreams? What are some of those decisions that you have made or are making that possibly can hinder those? I don't think, you need people in your life. If you have all yes people around you, get some no people, get some Eeyores in your life, man. Those are the best people that say, oh man, you're not that good. You know, you need people to, to check you. And you want people to speak into your life and say, hey, that decision, I don't know. I don't know about that. But what decisions have you made? Because here's what I know. God will redeem it. God will be able to, the closer you get to Christ, he'll redeem it and he'll press you into a new ring. So what could be decisions that you've made or making that are hindering that? And then the last one is this. What is one step you're gonna make this week to move closer to that dream? What is one thing you're gonna do? Wake up tomorrow, tonight, have a conversation, write something down, come up with a plan, meet with somebody. I don't know what you're gonna do. But what is one step? We're gonna give you one clear step of a possibility of something that might interest you. Becky Lee is our move out director. She's one of our great leaders, long-term Kensington leaders, one of my favorite people on the staff, just amazing person. And she does something with her move out team called live training. And I was on the very front end, I got to do some of this and it was incredible. And the whole idea is that you, you, you sit around and you start to, to ruminate with people through very exercises to really say, who am I? What am I passionate about? What does God ask me to do? And then here's how I'm going to do it. And you have to come up with a plan to do it. And it's really cool. And so it's, they're going to do this Live Your Dream uh, virtual event tomorrow, August 16th, 7 p.m. It's virtual. Just go there, kensingtonchurch.org uh, slash moveout. Just put your ear on it. Walk into the virtual room. Listen and see if there's anything in there. Because I'm telling you, that training is powerful. And so I would encourage you to go to that. Here's what I want you to know today. The real dream of life, very simple. Following Jesus in the mundane and in the magnificent and everything in between. The real dream, the real living, the real dream is stepping out in faith every day with Christ. You open your eyes and you go, Lord, what do you have for me today? Sitting on the sideline with a kid's game, conversation, 
living a dream is living faith, stepping out into the unknown of God. And here's what I would say to you. God is waiting. God is waiting. He's, he's waiting for you to courageously take one step. And it's courageous because to take that one step towards God can be a courageous first step. But God's saying, step and let's go. And I do dream for all of us. I dream that we make that step together individually and collectively. Lord, thank you for your scripture. Thank you for this crazy, beautiful, generous community. Thank you, Lord, that you've birthed so many dreams over the decades of this place. You spoke into so many lives. People that had no idea would move thousands of miles away to do your work, or they would walk right across the street to a neighbor, or they'd make one phone call. Whatever the dream is, Lord, they're all amazing in your name. And so we ask, Lord, that you birth new dreams in us. Speak to our hearts. Let us pursue you this week. Not only individually, Lord, but would you do that collectively? You are making something new. Your scripture says, do not look at the former things of old, but I'm doing something new. Do you see it? Do you perceive it? Lord, we wanna do something new. We wanna live your dreams. Speak to us, Father. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the band is gonna do a couple of songs and one, the first one, is a song called Take Courage. It's actually one of my favorite songs that we do. And so if you're able and willing and wanting, I would just ask that you would stand up and sing this out and really engage uh, and sing these words out. This is a powerful song. Let's take it in.
That's pretty impressive back on those drums there. Man. I did that a long time, but I couldn't do that. So thank you. That was beautiful. Uh, we were all worshiping different ways, by the way. So that was my, my worship. But, but hey, I uh, really do encourage you. This week, pay attention. Pay attention. Ask, your, ask yourself those questions. Show up tomorrow night at 7 p.m. What are you living into? What is holding you back? What is holding you back for the dream God has for you individually? And what's holding us back as a church? I'm dreaming that for our church. So I'm really excited about what's going to happen. Next week, we start a brand new series called Welcome to the Neighborhood. So bring a neighbor. Come back. We'd love to see you. Have a great rest of your week. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.